Welcome to Land Life, a podcast for North Coast landholders by North Coast Local Land Services. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live, work and play. From Bunjalung, Gitabal and Gumbangia country in the north, to Yagel, Dungadi and Biripai country in the south, we pay respects to the people and elders, past, present and emerging, across all the countries on which we work, and extend that respect to Aboriginal people listening to this podcast. The North Coast is fortunate to experience generally good climatic conditions. Our high rainfall and warm temperatures create excellent growing conditions, though toward the end of winter, pasture availability can get low, creating what we know as the winter feed gap. Many growers overcome this by growing supplementary feeds that are actively growing during this period. Whilst they are largely nutritious and beneficial and it is good practice, there are certain conditions that can lead to toxicities to cattle from commonly sown winter and spring pastures. In today's episode, we'll hear from district vet Phil Kemsley and tweed dairy farmer Corey Crosswaite about their experiences of plant toxicity in dairy cattle. Good morning, Corey. Good morning, Phil. Uh, Corey, um, there's two situations that I can recall in recent years where um, uh, pasture foragers have uh, not necessarily done the right thing for you. Um, I'm just wondering if you can reflect on those first, please. Yes, well, um, about uh, five or six years ago, we had um, a crop of soya beans in a paddock. Well, it, it all started, it was um, nitrate poisoning was the cause of the problem, but Coming about that, we had a crop of uh, a really good crop of soybeans in. Um, we put it in for silage, uh, which we we'd taken the cut. Um, after that, we ploughed the ground and worked in some chicken litter, a fair bit of chicken litter. Um, then we planted a crop of oats and brassicas in late February to give us some early early feed and. Um, so we've done that, so put on the chicken litter, and then we also put on an application of nitrogen. So after about five weeks, we had feed up to our waist, basically. And it was black, green, beautiful. We fed the cows on there for two days. And on the third day, we put the cows down there, and I was fertilising the paddock behind them with more nitrogen. And I'd just gone back to the shed to get some more nitrogen because I'd run out, and the lady pulled in and said, oh, do you realise you've got a cow down the paddock dead? I said, well, I've just left down there, and they're all fine. And she said, well, I am a vet. I do know what I'm talking about. And I drove back down the paddock thing, and she's, what in the bloody hell does she know? I only just left down there and got down there, and there was five dead cows in the paddock. And we ended up losing about eight, I think, that day. Oh. Basically, it was an overcast day, and the yeah. Yeah, sorry, plants didn't photosynthesize because yeah. of the overcast weather, and, yeah, it was all locked up. And I knew about it, but I didn't see there'd been a problem. They were on their third day, and, yeah, there was no dramas at all. Yeah, so it worries outline today are situations that I've seen several times where nitrate has become an issue. And those those factors are the breaking down of the soybean nodules in the soil and creates what we call a nitrogen dump in the soil. The chicken litter, which can do the same thing, uh, reached to a certain stage of composting in the soil and release, and of course the nitrogen application. So that's going to be a high quality nutritious, but also high nitrate feed. But the trigger appears to be, and it commonly is, the overcast weather for 24 hours preceding the event. That changes the way in which the plants photosynthesize, 
and can lead to that nitrate spike in the plant. Uh, the other situation where we see that, particularly with oats, but also with ryegrass, is where it's grazed low. So the nitrate con- uh, content in the stem is higher than the leaf. And that's why the Americans call it corn stem disease. Was that the case of this one, Corey, or was it just, just being topped? Was there a strip graze situation where it could have been yeah. eaten low? Yes, strip graze. And the, yeah, and the right. cows grazed it before. So to overcome it in the long run, we fed silage before we grazed, so the cows were pretty full. So and the after. cattle were going in with a full belly when they went on to the feed. Yes. Were you nervous when you got further overcast days? Yes, and for about two years after the same paddock every time. <laughs> yeah. I was a little nervous. Yeah, I can imagine after an event like that. Yeah. Um, so what you've, what you've done is, is what, uh, what is recommended. Uh, to to uh, limit the risk of nitrate poisoning, particularly in high-risk uh, situations, put them in with a belly full of feed. Um, the levels tend to be higher at an early morning, so perhaps delay it just a little bit later in the day and not graze too low because the nitrate content is, low, is higher in the stem than it is in the leaf material. And what was the other situation that you mentioned that uh, you'd had issues with? Um, we had oxalate poisoning mm-hmm. one time after the 2017 flood. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole farm went underwater and it took nearly all the, well, basically every single fence off the farm, so we had the cows locked on the feed pad. Mm-hmm. And they were fed silage there for about two weeks because, yeah, there wasn't much grass in the paddocks. It was all mm-hmm. covered in mud and whatnot. And then after two weeks, we had a beautiful, lush, green, new shoots of um, satyria everywhere, which we grazed. And we had 15 cows die one night of um, oxalate poisoning. And then there was about, I think, just off the top of my head, around 60 cows aborted as well. Oh, no. Yeah, I recall being out there at the time. It wasn't, it wasn't very pleasant. No. Um, had any nitrogen been applied in that situation, Corey? Oh, there had been bit prior to the flood. There would have been. But there'd okay. been none put on after the flood because it was too muddy to get too on the paddock. Get on to. Yeah. 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 At what stage of growth was the soteria at that at that point of first grazing? Oh, probably about four inches, hundred mil, but over, oh, from hundred mil up to sort of one hundred and fifty. Okay. It was just a nice little green shoot of pick. Yeah, and of course it was the uh, late March, early April, so typical yeah. autumn situation. So the circumstances we've had there that have led to the soteria being a higher risk are several several factors that have really come together. The most important one is that these cows are grazed like as soteria is a main main feed source on a day to day basis. But there was that break of ten fourteen days where they hadn't had access to high oxalate feed, and the rumen bacteria and flora change and, and the animals lose the ability to break down the oxalate into harmless compounds. So the cattle have had a change. There's also been a change in the plant. We've got a few things happening there. One is it's been in the autumn months where oxalate levels tend to peak in Soteria. The other factor we've got is the dumping of silt over the plant. And, the, and growing through that, which has led to like applying fertiliser to the, the plant, so they become quite nutritious, but it also raises the oxide levels. The other issue has been that 
the plants are at a short, young, fresh stage of growth. And whilst that's the most nutritious stage, what we call stage two of growth, the leafy growth, it's also the time when oxalate levels are highest with soteria. So putting those things together, as particularly the animal factor of being off soteria for a couple of weeks, leads to a susceptible situation. Oxalate binds the calcium in the blood, so these animals tend to develop almost a milk fever type look. Is that what you saw, Corey? What sort of signs were these cows showing? Yeah, just the typical signs of milk fever. And as I recall, we also had kidney involvement with with some of these cows where the oxalate crystals, which are insoluble, uh, the calcium oxalate, then go to the kidneys and block the filters. So after that initial event, a few days later, you're getting cows with kidney failure. So it's almost like a double whammy effect. makes it very, very hard to, to cope with. Unfortunately, because the kidney damage is permanent, it doesn't recover from that, those animals can then be more susceptible to, to future oxalate events. Anything more you'd like to add on that case, Cora? Um, well, the cows were they were fed on um, superior silage the whole time, and I didn't think it was going to be a problem. But yeah, yeah, nor, nor would I. Yeah. What stage of growth was that, that silage cut at, do you recall? Oh, about knee-high. Yeah, so what time of year? Before Christmas, around Christmas time it would have been made. Yep, so during that uh, late spring, uh, yeah. early, early summer period, the oxalate levels tend to be lowest. Yeah. Um, so they would have not received enough there, but it's still, yeah, they still would have had some. That's that's really, uh, you're doing things in good faith and uh, thinking it'll be right when it when it's not. Yeah. Um, yeah, very difficult to treat oxalate poison uh, because it just happens so so very quickly. Well, I use the term for that friendly fire foods that you think are safe just because of a gathering of environmental events things can turn uh, against you. Our foods are by and large safe most of the time and uh, it's certainly not a reason not to grow these foods. Um, it's important that we do have those in the dairy situation to maintain productivity and also in the beef cattle situation to feed those, fill those gaps that occur due to seasonal events such as the uh, in late winter and early spring. Thanks a lot for your time today, Corey. No worries, Phil, any time. Great, thank you. Improved pastures and fodders play an important role in the nutrition of both beef and dairy cattle on the North Coast. They're normally safe and nutritious, otherwise they wouldn't be grown. However, under rare but important environmental conditions, some can become toxic. Two examples were given in today's episode, but there are several others and they're all included in the new section of the Local Land Services Handbook, Beef Cattle Health and Husbandry on the North Coast, due to be released soon. In the meantime, for support and advice, you can call your nearest Local Land Services office on 1300 795 299. podcast is jointly funded through North Coast Local Land Services and the Australian Government's National Land Care Programme.